0: Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
1: Good morning, and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've managed to survive yet another hot summer weekend without too much cause for alarm. Which is surprising, is it not, as we are in the grip of the worst pandemic this world has ever seen. Or are we? As Greater Manchester Police declared a major incident in the area, they then immediately said it was nothing to worry about. Apparently, it's just a way of getting more resources to the area to see how this works. So they have all this new language that they've created. They basically say, oh yes, it's a massive emergency. It is a massive major incident. But then they go, but there's nothing to worry about well then why'd you call it a massive major incident then the coronavirus death toll meanwhile rose by, get ready for it eight I'll just repeat that for those of you uh, who are at the back and who might not have heard that's a big fat eight as the beautiful south might have said compared to the number of infections which is currently running at 304,695 that amounts to 0.0003% are you worried about that Because I'm not. Meanwhile, families can't mix with one another. You can't mingle with people you don't know in the pub and civil servants are refusing to come back to work because it's too dangerous. At the weekend, there were even suggestions that everyone over 50 will somehow be graded their own safety. Well I for one don't believe a word of it. When on earth is this madness going to end? We'll be asking Mail on Sunday columnist Peter Hitchens a little bit later on. I'm pretty sure I know what he's going to say about it. 0344 499 1000. First up today though it is the eminently sensible and recently ennobled former Labour MP Kate Hoey. Congratulations are in order of course and she'll be a very welcome addition to the House of Lords. But the Honours list was not without its critics as you might expect. I'll be asking her what she makes of the current COVID policies and where we should be going from here. 0344 499 1000. We'll also be picking up where Nigel Farage left off last week on the strange case of the illegal migrants and the giant public service company Serco. How on earth do they manage to get so many government contracts awarded to them in all sorts of areas from the Ministry of Justice uh, and tagging prisoners to transporting prisoners to running the Docklands Light Railway to running ferries in Scotland to running trams in uh, the Middle East. It really is quite an extraordinary story. The company is run uh, by Nicholas Soames's brother. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Plus, we'll bring the latest from the holiday business back home and abroad because yesterday it seems there was a bit of a problem at Heathrow Airport where loads of people came back from holiday and had to wait for two hours in the immigration hall because there weren't enough people manning the Border Force gates. The Border Force is starting to look like a bit of a disaster zone at the moment. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio.
0: Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Talk Radio.
1: Now, let us, without further ado, uh, touch base uh, with one of our favourite people, Ms Kate Hoey, former Labour MP for Vauxhall, recently ennobled uh, in the honours list, uh, and who shall now, from this moment forth, be known probably uh, as Baroness Hoey. Kate, a very good morning to you. Welcome.
2: (laughs) Good morning, Mike. Good morning.
1: And welcome uh, uh, in your new capacity as a member of the House of Lords. Uh, I don't know whether you heard Julie Hartley Brewer just before uh, we uh, moved over from her show to my show saying, please make her call herself Lady Brexit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I still haven't. You're given a bit of time to decide what you're going to call yourself. And obviously, until you've formally are introduced which is another um, very uh, ancient ceremony yeah. and with it that could take some time but yes i haven't quite decided but uh, someone said i should be um, baroness of brussels <laughs> yes that
1: would really wind some people <laughs> no. up i mean there were some criticisms weren't there of of yeah. the honors list as you might expect i suppose you know boris johnson giving one to his brother uh, and to and to a russian sort of businessman was always going to be controversial but i was quite surprised that the number of people that were upset that you got one
2: um, well, I suppose all the ardent remainers would, would would hate it. But actually, I have to say I was so surprised with the numbers of really nice messages I got and, you know, people that I hadn't heard from for ages and yes. ages getting in touch. And I, I, I mean, I said at the time, I said, I I see it, you know, it's obviously it's an honour for me and my 30 years in Parliament, my work in Zimbabwe and Country Alliance and all of that, but, and Brexit, but also I see it very much as for every single... Uh, Ex Labour voter uh, in the north of England and in those red uh, red areas who voted uh, kept going solidly to leave despite being you know ostracised and told they were terrible and the Labour Party having a go at them. I, I see my sort of honour as as almost on their behalf, um, and I hope to be able to continue to fly the flag for. Uh, you know, independence, Britain getting up, getting um, all our control back of everything. And uh, also, you know, to speak up to about some of the issues I'm interested in, Northern Ireland, Zimbabwe, that kind of thing. Yes.
1: I dare say so you might find a few hundred Ramonas in the House of Lords that you're going to come up against in a 30 well, see, that's,
2: that, well, that's the thing. I mean, the, the, after the coalition government, the Lib Dems, as part of that coalition, uh, got a sh- very substantial number of very, very ardent uh, Pro-EU lords and ladies put in, and um, I think the prime minister probably wanted to have a little bit of bring in a little bit more balance. Although, of course, it won't ever uh, be in terms of the majority because we've got a lot of the establishment in the House of Lords, who, are on the whole, from you know ex-judges and so on, who who do. And civil servants, mm. particularly who who are who are very committed to still, you know, being in the EU. But I think I think somehow COVID and the whole issue of lockdown and everything like that has taken. The the heat out of the Brexit debate now. I mean, we've passed the date. We can't extend the transition. We will either get a deal or we won't get a deal. Whatever it is, we're going to have to get through that, and um, it it will it will work. Um, you know, with the COVID issue and what's happening in the rest of Europe, I think it's it's made the fanatical uh, EU lover. Perhaps just that little bit uh, less vocal.
1: Yes, it seems to me as well that an awful lot of the wind has been knocked out of the sails of of, of the likes of Michel mm. Barnier and others in uh, in Brussels, because there is this massive pandemic going on. They can't just sit around stamping their feet and and sort of waving their hands around in the air as if there's something terrible <laughs> happening, because actually there is something terrible happening, which is different from what they thought was something terrible.
2: Yes, it's 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 it's, it's it is something that is not so easily controlled. Mm. Uh, but also, of course, he's come up against. Uh, uh, uh-huh. In David Frost, a government uh, negotiator who believes in Brexit and um, is there to carry out the will of a government with a majority of 80 that got elected on Get Brexit Done. So I think that makes it much more difficult for them to play play stupid games. Plus, they've got problems with their, with uh, many of the other nations. I mean, there's it, not many great supporters of the EU at the moment in Italy and in other parts of uh, parts of the EU. So I think we've, we've started something. We're the kind of capital list having gone through all of this, and it 's been it 's been a long time since we voted to leave but we 're there now we 're nearly there completely, and I feel much better after the end of December, whatever kind of um, deal or no deal there is because it means we can, for example, try and sort out some of this issues about um and, uh, migrants coming across and not being able seemingly to do anything about it. Well, do you know what I
1: found extraordinary since Nigel Farage was on the show last Thursday? I've been doing some uh, some investigating into this company Serco. Now, I don't know how much you know about Serco but they are quite an extraordinary operation. They seem to have fingers mm. in every single pie that the government does, right, in terms of the uh, the running of, of prisoners between, you know, courts and uh, and, and jails. they run a few uh, detention centres already. Uh, they obviously have got this contract, this multi-billion pound contract to run Run migrants and put them up in hotels, uh, from whence they came uh, to the beaches of this country. They've also they also run the Boris Bikes program. They run uh, the the Docklands Light Railway. Um, they've got interest in nuclear silos. I mean, and it's all it's all it's all government money. It's all public service contracts, and they're making an absolute fortune.
2: Yes, I, I mean, I, I think they, I think they changed their name too, didn't they? They used to be something else, but I I not realised until you've done some of that work uh, just how extensive. Their um, th- th- their contracts are, and it really does seem ludicrous that one particular company. I expect they've got all sorts of little sub um, sub groups that work on specialising in different areas. But th- th- I-, I don't know how much public uh, transparency there is about their accounts and and all of that. But certainly what what has been raised by Nigel Farage and the- and the-, the-, the work that you've done mm. means that people are now going to look into it, and that might be. Might be a good thing. I mean, I was, I genuinely was pretty horrified when I saw, uh, you know, some of the very, very nice hotels that people were being put into. Yeah. And we've got so many of our own uh, people, you know, desperately homeless homeless for all sorts of other lots reasons. Lots of veterans being on the streets, yeah. I mean, lots yeah, of veterans on the streets seems... of this country. And you know, what we- and I, I,
1: What I was going to say is what we do know is uh, at the very least, and this is after a very small uh, search around uh, Britain, certainly Newcastle, uh, certainly York, certainly Glasgow, and as we know, uh, Bromsgrove as well, um, are all places where migrants are being housed in hotels at the expense of 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 the government.
2: Yes, and, you know, with with COVID and all the restrictions that are being put on, on on those of us who are moving around within the United Kingdom, I mean, presumably, I mean, it didn't look like they were being sort of socially distant or, I mean, I'm not they were being given masks and so on. Mm. But, you know, someone said, if you want to go on holiday, just go, go over, and then if there's a quarantine brought in, just get into your boat and come across and you'll be... Welcomed and received and put in a hotel, but no seriously, I mean it is something that I think you know, but what annoys me genuinely annoys me is that We need to have someone from the government pretty patel high up, coming out and actually making it a statement about this, very clear why it 's happening what she's doing yeah. what is going to st- what is going to change next january and what can be done in the meantime
1: yes exactly right because i think the fact that it's been going on without anybody really knowing exactly what has been going on uh, is bad enough I and mean, we want and we need transparency in government and the less well, transparent this government is the worse they look
2: well it wouldn't have got into the newspapers and into the media and then it was very late only because of what Individuals like um, Nigel Farage and yourself and all some of the other uh, media people who mm. did some specific things, it wouldn't have got out. Nobody would have known about this. We'd have just thought it wasn't. And then people who live in the area many of them know what's been happening for some time.
1: Right, exactly right. Let's talk a little bit about John Hume, uh, Kate, because uh, he would have been somebody that you would have known well, Nobel Peace Prize winner. Uh, he's just died, mm-hmm. uh, sadly. Former leader of the Social Democrat and Labour Party. Um, he was pretty much regarded as one of the architects of the peace process, wasn't he?
2: Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a, He is one of the, the you know, big figures of Northern Ireland over the last 50 years. Uh, he and David Trimble together were important in bringing about the uh, ceasefires, helping to work closely with the paramilitaries on both sides to try and get the agreement. And then, um, I mean, his, his particular forte was the fact that he was actually someone who was... Always, I mean, he was a he was a strong nationalist. I would have disagreed with him on on, no. on the future of Northern Ireland, but he was he was absolutely opposed to violence, absolutely opposed to the methods and the way that the um, IRA worked. He he worked very very hard to always talk about peace and and being able to, to change things by by persuasion and all of that. And I think it's it is the sort of end of a an era in a way um, with his with his passing and will be deeply, deeply missed by his own party in Northern Ireland who obviously um, see him as their yeah. great figurehead but also by, by people from all sides in Northern Ireland mm. not, not just those on the nationalist side.
1: Well of course because what people forget and what some people don't know because they didn't live through it uh, is that Northern Ireland regardless of whatever problems it may have now politically um, was a very different place before he changed it.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 I was in my student sort of days when I, when the worst of the beginning of the troubles started, and yeah. you know, when I look back on it, and then I would go back home for for holidays and Christmas and so on. You know, it, it, there was almost an acceptance that this was what was going to happen. You would hear about a bomb going off, and people just say oh yeah where where is it you know it became a, a kind of way of life mm. and and you know the fact that when we used to travel back and forth to Belfast some I, I remember being on planes where you weren't even allowed to take anything with you, you know, yeah. even a tiny handbag, you know, we, the whole thing we went through in Northern Ireland and most people in the rest of the United Kingdom didn't, didn't really understand it and that's why it's so important now that, you know, we don't just forget all that because the history some people are trying to rewrite the history and I yeah. think that's really important that we don't
1: Yes, and how are things in Northern Ireland COVID-wise at the moment? Because I oh. wanted to ask you about what's going on yeah. in the north of England, for example, where people do seem to be slightly confused still about what it is that they're supposed to be doing, what they're allowed to do. Um, and this kind of local, uh, localized lockdown, um, I'm not sure is, is is necessarily the way
2: forward. Well, we've we've we're very uh, low on, and there hasn't, I thought I didn't hear yesterday's figure, but we certainly haven't had any deaths for something like 15, 16 days. Yeah, uh, I think well, I think yes. the overall
1: death in the UK uh, rate for the weekend is eight.
2: Yes, that's 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 you know that's very big. But of course, if more testing is going on, then more people are going to be found with the symptoms. Yeah. But the symptom the symptoms may not be anything from, other than what people would get with a mild flu. Uh, and, you know, I, th- I think we do need to keep rem- reminding ourselves just how many people die from flu and from all the other th- terrible things that mm. are not getting treated at the moment, heart attacks, strokes, all of that. Uh, but it, in, in Northern Ireland, face masks are still not compulsory, but a lot of people are wearing them. And, I mean, if I was going on a bus, I, 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 would, I would put yeah. a, um, a covering on of some kind because part, I mean, sometimes even over the years, when you think about it, in the tubes in London... You would quite like used to put a scarf around your yeah, face because absolutely. you were so crowded. So I think that's common sense. Um, but yeah, I I, no yeah, I mean, I'm not one about,
1: of those people that fears for my personal liberty because I'm being asked to wear a face mask in a shop. No, you know, there I are don't. some people who feel that way, but I'm not one of them.
2: No, I, I don't feel like that. I feel, in fact, sometimes in a crowded thing, you feel quite sort of safe, and you know, it just kind of covers you up from all sorts of things. But the, the you know, the science is obviously confused in this. I mean, why is Holland not? Making it compulsory and wearing why are they not wearing masks right. in Sweden and other countries but where where there I, I i'm not you know I, I think i've just read today i don 't know whether you 've read it Trevor Kavanaugh, a brilliant uh, long standing yes. journalist in the sun, has written a brilliant piece and he's used he's coined that phrase that I think will become to be uh, more widely used um uh, uh, corona phobia yes. you know, that now now we've got to the stage where the fear has almost overtaken the the actual um
1: well that's it. i mean you mentioned civil servants uh civil servants already are apparently going back? well apparently they're rebelling against uh, boris johnson i presume they're using the uh the, the excuse that it's too dangerous well i don't know how they can come to that conclusion but the problem is as long as the government's telling you that it's dangerous then i suppose you are within your rights to say that it is
2: Yes, I, I, that's certainly where the example should be set. There should be no reason why they couldn't, within all those big, um, you know, offices in in Whitehall, make them be able to be socially distanced if if, if that was necessary. And I, I think also that um, you know what, what people need to remember that they might be enjoying kind of working from home and being able to do it. Yeah. But the, the danger, for certainly for lower-paid workers, is that ultimately companies will say, well, if you can do it from home, we can get somebody from India or from somewhere well, exactly. else to do it from home. So I think there is a danger about this working from home, uh, you know, that it becomes almost uh, self-fulfilling in that th- we end up with not getting people going back and making it much, much worse for, you know, for British workers.
1: Absolutely right. So when do we see you first uh, back in Westminster <laughs> in the House of Lords? We may even be back well... in the tent of common sense by then.
2: <laughs> well, the, the, you have to go through this. The you have to wait till you're actually formally introduced, and uh, with the house being um, obviously not sitting now, and then September they are coming back. So I, I would I would hope by uh, by October I would be able to, but get in. But you know, it's it's um, you know I'm not I, I can't just decide it myself. We have to wait and be told when what what happens. No. But I'm looking forward to it because it it does give you a, a sort of platform that means that people will still have to listen to some of my views.
1: (laughs) Well listen, we always like listening to your views Kate and just uh, please accept a hearty congratulations not just from me but from everybody here at Talk Radio because you've been a great supporter of ours as well. Kate Hoey uh, soon to be in the House of Lords Uh, she has yet to pick her name for that uh, but it will be Baroness something or other of somewhere or other. Uh, Maybe you could suggest a few things and be
3: nice please. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on
4: Talk Radio. Well
1: let's talk about something slightly different because I'm delighted to say uh, we have a new um, I wouldn't say member, I wouldn't be uh, as bold as to say a new member of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, but somebody who um, is a fellow traveller of ours, because what we like to do here on this show is to give voices to people uh, who would otherwise be shut down by certain areas uh, of the media. And we're going to talk now to Inaya following Iman, founder of the Equiano Project, which is basically set up, I think I'm right in saying Inaya, uh, in order to kind of get people to better understand uh, what's going on in this country when it comes to racial division. Very good morning to you.
5: Morning, and thank you for having me. Um, that's a very good description of what the Equiano Project is. Basically, um, it is a, a forum, an ideas forum, to kind of fundamentally move the conversation forward when it comes to issues of race, culture, and politics in this country. For a number of years, we've had kind of divisive identity politics. We've had a, We've had a climate of fear when it comes to speaking openly and honestly about race issues. And we've had a very lack of meaningful solutions that address many of the kind of, issues related to race and that exist in britain so we are bringing together challenging thinkers, intellectuals, and ordinary people in in the UK, but hopefully also internationally, to kind of think creatively and imaginatively on this issue. So our first event is tomorrow. It's really exciting. It's titled, Is It Time to Forge a New Narrative on Race? We have the uh, amazing kind of writer and broadcaster, Trevor Phillips, uh, the head teacher of um, the Michaela School, Catherine Babelsingh, many, many um, other amazing guests to kind of really move the conversation forward on race in this country. Yeah, because we seem to have kind of
1: traveled down a very dark road uh, in recent weeks and months because of the uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, because of the way that the world has kind of reacted to the death of a, of a man in Minneapolis. I mean, it's almost hard to believe how long ago that was. Um, do you think there are people in this conversation who are attempting to be deliberately divisive for some end, which we, which we don't know?
5: Yeah, I I really do think um, there is. I think now, unfortunately, there's a lot of people and groups that have a vested interest in creating um, division and stoking racial division in this country. I mean, over the weekend, we saw uh, a kind of pseudo black militia. Yeah. brixton so we are seeing a a huge escalation of of kind of racial division in this country just at a time when we've made leaps and bounds when it comes to you know anti-racism in britain and and now when we are really forging a kind of positive um, vision for uh, britain when it comes to our multi-ethnic society we're seeing a lot of groups emerging trying to actually roll the clock back and it's really time that we were much more forthright in pushing back against it
1: yes exactly right and i mean there are plenty of people of course who are straight into the the middle of all of this racial division stuff uh, who are not from any ethnic community who are in fact white people um, who are telling black people how oppressed they are.
5: Yeah this is something that um, I, I get a lot because I'm you know, proud to be British because I'm very um, happy here and and support freedom of speech and, and defend the institutions of this country and don't believe whatsoever that Britain is a racist society. I'm frequently told that, you know, I should feel oppressed, I should feel like a victim. And I think that that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, There is so much to be proud of here. Um, there's so much to be grateful for, um, for, for all races, not just, you know, ethnic minority people. And I think that's the kind of positive vision, forward-facing vision for the country that we need. And that's the kind of um, vision that the Equiano Project is going to be um, promoting. Yes. And what
1: part do you think, like, schools can play in? educationalists can play in this because I think for a lot of the problems that we see in our society now, they are kind of set up because of what is being taught in our schools and I think there's something that could be fixed about that.
5: Yeah. So what we've actually seen um, develop in recent years is a kind of emergence of a kind of race-based education. We've seen a, a, a recent uh, initiative by Liberal Democrats and other people to um, impose a black curriculum. So we're not actually teaching, you know, Britain as a whole, or considering, you know, black Black Britons to be part of a wider British narrative. It's everything now in school is increasingly divided by race, and I don't think that um, that is helpful. I actually find that deeply counterproductive. It's a big contrast to the vision of Martin Luther King, which I believe in, which is judging by the content of your character, mm. not the color of your skin. I think that's what we need to be teaching young kids and, and young children growing up that actually it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter what the color of your skin are. You know, we, we care about um, how you treat people in society, and that's positive, not this kind of very race based narrative that is increasingly being pushed against. So, we are, you know, hopefully again trying to represent a whole different constituency of of people that yeah. are against this kind of very divisive narrative that's being pushed forward.
1: Yeah, because also an awful lot of what we're seeing is, is what you might regard as kind of tokenism, like all these people taking the knee um, as if that is in some way helping people who might be underprivileged or helping people who might be undereducated. You know, it doesn't really do anything, does it? Other than show you to be a virtue signalling person who agrees with, you know diversity.
5: I completely agree it's really ridiculous I mean we've had thousands and thousands of people protest there was so much energy and a lot of people claim that this was going to be a very pinnacle moment to bring about meaningful change but actually we have seen not a single policy not a single political program or announcement that has been pushed forth from many of the leaders of this movement that will improve the material life of anyone in this country not necessarily just black people I mean at least you know we're very thankful that we're not in as bad of a situation as America when they've got, you know, trying to overthrow capitalism and defunding the police and, and many of the destructive things that are going on in America. But again, so that same narrative is quite similar here, where you don't have to actually do anything meaningful. You don't have to do the often long and arduous work of actually finding out meaningful solutions. All you have to do is basically put a black square on your Instagram, take the knee, and, it, and it's all about virtue signaling. Mm. I don't think that helps anyone. I actually, actually think, again, it is actually very, very counterproductive and and distracts attention from many of the people that are doing great work to help, um, you know, kids facing injustice, regardless of their ethnic background.
4: Hmm.
1: And also, it's very arrogant, it seems to me, uh, for anyone to say, for example, and we've had other other guests from black and ethnic minority backgrounds who say this, you can't just say that everybody who happens to have a different colour skin thinks the same way. You know, there are black people uh, who have a heritage from Africa, there are black people who have a heritage from the Caribbean, you know, they don't all agree on everything. Uh, in the same way that people from the Indian subcontinent have completely different regions of, 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 uh, of polit- politics that they think about, you know, somebody who's originally from Bangladesh may have a very different view of the world than somebody from Sri Lanka, you know, but it's kind of insulting, it seems to me, to say that, uh, you know, black lives matter because everybody's the same
5: i know it's very interesting we hear so much about diversity but the one element of diversity that we don't hear about is ideological or intellectual diversity if you are a white person you must be privileged you must you know be yeah. rich and, and, and you know have a very specific view and if you're a black person you must think you're a victim you must be very you know depressed and down about your life and feel downtrodden i mean this is incredibly divisive stuff this is a very kind of one-dimensional essentialist view View of human beings. We all have different experiences, we all have different backgrounds, but essentially we are all human and I really believe that what unites us is far 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 stronger than what divides us and yes we can respect difference we can honor difference and we can appreciate it but ultimately we are all humans and i think that many of the difficulties facing different groups are actually you know very similar across races and again you know the Equiano project wants to champion um this new this better and far more inclusive narrative than this um, narrative of division that we have heard for a number of years now but particularly in the last few months
1: Tremendous uh, thing to say. And I thank you very much indeed. I've got, uh, I've retweeted your tweet, but tell people just if they need to uh, watch what you're doing later on, how do they do that?
5: Yes, if you would like to attend this event tomorrow, it's fantastic at um, 7 to 8.30pm, please um, find the Equiano Project on Twitter at the Equiano Project or the Equiano com, and you will be able to get tickets to it. It's free and uh, we want to bring as many people on this conversation um, to move this conversation um, far forward.
1: Great. Inaya, thank you very much indeed. Inaya following Iman, uh, we'll be talking to her, I'm sure, much more over the course of the next few weeks and months. Founder of the Equiano Project, another sensible voice uh, to be welcomed in to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, because that's what we do here. We are the home of common sense, as if you didn't know. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
4: Let's talk, though, about the other big story we were
1: talking about this morning, which is Serco, uh, the company which has been charged with uh, and is making rather a lot of money from uh, the uh, management, I suppose you might say for want of a better word, uh, of all the illegal migrants who are arriving on our shores uh, on a weekly basis by the hundreds. Uh, They're being put up in hotels in various places around the country. We already now know of Newcastle, of Chester, uh, of York, uh, certainly of Bromsgrove as was exposed by Nigel Farage last week on this very show. Uh, We also know it was happening in Scotland as well. Let's talk now to... uh, James Wells, former Brexit Party MEP. Uh, he was tweeting over the weekend about about Circo and about how they are uh, in, empowered in some way uh, to have fingers in almost every single government pie that you can find. It seems quite extraordinary. James, very good morning to you. Welcome.
0: Yeah, good morning, Mike.
1: Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, I consider myself to be relatively well-informed as an individual, I had no idea that this company uh, was so heavily involved in government contracts that it seems to be to be it's all it does. I mean, it has some international work as well. But quite frankly, um, it's staggering how much work and how much money uh, this company is getting from our government.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the, the, the um, asylum accommodation and support services contract, which is kind of the thing at the, the centre of this issue... Which is worth four billion. Right. I mean, that—that's just that's just one of many contracts that um, that these guys are running. Um, they also run um, immigration return um, centres yeah. and, and lots of other public services. You know, which is all of this is a legacy, by the way, of the Blair years. You know, yes. big government service contracts being awarded to private
1: companies Right, and it seems to me, I mean they're involved in electronic tagging, uh, they're involved in asylum seeker uh, sort of justice systems, they're involved in all manner of things to do with um, um, the, uh, the pensions uh, department, housing department defence department, aviation health, I mean it just goes on and on and on it seems to me uh, that somebody needs to look into this and look into it in a pretty big way, because one of the questions I was putting to, to my audience last week was, write to your MP and ask them, uh, could you please confirm whether or not your constituency is currently housing illegal immigrants who have come to this country via boats across the channel Uh, and could you tell me how many of them there are and how much it's costing?
0: Yeah exactly and it's a good business to be in you know if you look at the the Circo share price it jumped over six percent following the announcement of this deal and looking at the share price this morning it's since risen by nearly 50 percent right so, you know, they're, they're doing good business out of this. But I think the problem that the public have with this is that, it, that the current setup seems to be uh, or appears to be providing an incentive for more to come. Yes. And, you know, at the other end of the scale, we have a, a veil of secrecy surrounding the situation. I mean, the government's silence on this is actually quite deafening. You know, the Conservatives keep on promising to cut immigration, Um, But then they fail to say how these long-term contracts fit into that plan. Mm. Now, I'm sure you're aware of all this, but, I mean, to be fair to the the, the, the government, part of the current problem is actually EU law in the form of the Dublin regulation. So what the Geneva Convention says is that asylum cases should be processed in the first country in which an asylum seeker arrives. However, EU law says, via the Dublin Regulations, it says that processing should take place in the first country where their papers are submitted. So what's mm. actually happening is these migrants, they're making their way, a lot of them are economic migrants, they're making their way across multiple countries to get to the UK and obviously clearly not submitting their papers. And the authorities in those countries are clearly not um, forcing them to do that. Right. Now,
1: now, if that's no, the I case, think, then um, yeah. surely once we leave the European Union properly at the end of this year, then that rule no longer applies.
0: Well, yes, I mean, that dep- depends what the government do. So, I mean, there's two things the government needs to do, really. And that is precisely one of them is that they need to completely withdraw from EU law on this at the yep. end of the year when the, when the transition period ends. But secondly, I think, you know, the government need to show some political will on this. Um you know, if you look um, at other countries which have had a problem like this, Australia, for example, you know, the previous Prime Minister there, Tony Abbott, mm. took a policy which is controversial, but, you know, of turning boats back instead of what's going on at the moment. Mm. Um, and essentially we're seeing transfers um, of the boats in, 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 in the channel. And that's actually cut um, migration by a huge amount um illegal immigration in, into Australia. You know, I think at the end of this people are angry because you know 60 million has been given to france to help stop the flow of migrants and yet we see a essentially a taxi service in the english channel where this handover goes on and then we've got we're we're now learning about these these huge contracts which you know they weren't a secret when they were signed last year but you know the country was consumed with brexit at the time so and, and obviously the government haven't been transparent about this because right. they just keep also I don't think
1: anyone companies. had any idea what, what size the numbers actually were because yeah. as, as every day goes by I'm getting more evidence from people up and down the country uh, talking about certain hotels Mercure Hotels apparently in Chester are are, are, are running uh, uh, hotels which are closed to the public because they're full up uh, with migrants all being paid for by this contract. <laughs> Similarly uh, in London I've had reports of Mercure Hotels doing that business as well and you know you yeah. don't blame them I suppose if, if, if they're being provided with business which they otherwise wouldn't have because the pandemic means nobody is actually staying there but i just think we need to be given the information you know
0: we're all grown-ups we need to know what's going on exactly i mean there's no point in in pointing the finger at these companies we should be pulling apart the contracts which have been signed with them yeah but the issue really comes down to the government and um you know i think at the moment they're doing everything they can just to try and um, not say <laughs> or say as little as they can about yeah. it and and put sticking plasters on where they can. Um, But clearly that's not going to wash, is it? Well,
1: it really isn't. There was a piece in The Times on Saturday, which I found interesting. It was all about, it started off being about tourism and about how Italy's trying to invite people to come back. But they've got a massive problem, particularly uh, in Sicily and in southern parts of Italy, where a lot of the migrants are coming across the Mediterranean. Many of them from Tunisia, it turns out. About 50% of their uh, migrant problem is from Tunisia. But they've now got a deal whereby they fly them back to Tunisia. So if they can do it inside the European Union, why can't we?
0: Yeah, no. Precisely. And the other thing I think that makes people angry is that our whole system, you know, it takes years to process these claims. Then right. we get legal, um, you know, challenges and then it takes longer. And by the time all of that's finished, they've gone. They yeah. Disappear. Well, well I mean, this is
1: what Nigel Farage said. He basically yeah. said to me that even if their uh, applications fail, which most of them do, they don't actually leave the country. They exactly. disappear and, you know, they disappear into the kind of the slave trade the black market yes. the human trafficking situation
0: exactly you know it's only it's only a few weeks back that we heard of um, supply chain for boohoo um very successful company yeah. um, online company in the uk is actually being you know part of the the, the the supply chain is actually being run by slave traders yeah so You know, I mean, the government has got to get a grip on this because this is only, it's not going to go away. And I think, you know, the important thing for people in this country, they want to know that when the transition comes to an end, Mm. the deal, if we get one with the EU, does not include some secret deal where we kind of, Carry on as as we have been, because that just is clearly not acceptable.
1: Well, apart from anything else, uh, it's encouraging the human traffickers who are apparently making millions. Right, I mean, again, Nigel's figures alone: three thousand people paying five thousand quid so far. Uh, that's fifteen million pounds, which these people have made yeah. uh, off the misery of these of these people trying to get a better life for themselves. Then you encourage the uh, the slave trade in this country, prostitution, all sorts of other ghastly businesses. Uh, where are there all these
0: guys are going to end up? It's just horrendous. I know, I know. The government needs to get a handle on this and quick.
1: Yes, I think so. James, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed. James Wells, former Brexit party MEP, uh, who, like me, is very concerned about the business that this is creating. Because what you're basically doing is you're propping up a criminal enterprise of people who are making vast sums of money by shipping human beings across the channel in exchange for vast amounts of money. They then come here. They are then supported by a government who through a company called Circo, which is making lots and lots of money doing so, houses them, uh, they say, because of the pandemic. But I don't believe that for a second. We're going to try and get somebody from Circo on uh, to try and get their version of events. We'll try and do that tomorrow uh, because we need to know, I think, solely exactly how many hotels are booked up, exactly how many people are being housed. Nigel Farage says it's 48,000. Some people have said to me, you should check out that number. The fact is... The bigger uh, and the the more we look into this, the bigger of a scandal it seems to be, the more widespread it would appear to be. I would guarantee you that almost all of the major cities of this country, and I include in that uh, Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales, have got asylum seekers being put up at our expense in those hotels. And we will bring you more on this story throughout the course of this week, because for me, uh, this is one of the big stories of the year. This is Talk Radio.
0: Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Let us welcome
1: once more. Uh, for the number of times we've spoken, I think I've lost count, so I'm not even going to try and attempt to say so. But Peter Hitchens is here. Peter, very good morning to you.
3: Good morning to you.
1: Thank you very much indeed for joining us once more. I mean, I find myself uh, more and more incredulous at the way that things have developed in the past sort of week or so since we last spoke. As I say, uh, the death toll over the weekend was eight. Um, We've got many people now telling us that the infection rate is going up, but it's not increasing hospital admissions. So surely that means it's not that dangerous.
3: Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But well, I do begin to wonder whether a large part of our media haven't had their intelligence surgically removed. No. And it's quite plain when you look at these figures that the significant thing is the, the vast contrast between the numbers of so-called infections and the numbers of deaths and admissions. Yeah. There are, and, just, and you can find this abroad as well. If you go to the Worldometers uh, site, it will give you this in any any country in the world. And uh, looking at Spain, for instance, at the moment, uh, where we, we, we've all been told we can't go because it's so dangerous, mm. the daily deaths in Spain since uh, June the 40th, 15th when there were eight has barely got above three or one. Right. Um, uh, July the 3rd, they had a spike of 17, but since then it's been three or four or one. And this is the country which when, in April was having daily deaths of 961. Yeah. So it, it, the the use of this term infections and cases is wholly misleading. And I, I just can't understand why so many of our media colleagues sit there with their mouths hanging open, their eyes goggling, swallowing this stuff. Yeah. You look at what's happening in Australia, where the whole city of Melbourne is under some kind of curfew. Uh, people not allowed... Yeah, to after 8 uh, o'clock, you can't go out. Uh, it, it, and, and, and Because seven people have died, almost all of whom were over 75. Yeah. Uh, and it's all based, again, on the number of infections. And people are swallowing this, mm-hmm. not merely our, the media, but our elected representatives, who seem to me to have gone on the most extended holiday in the history, uh, just do not seem to have any ability to question what has happened to the safety valves and brakes in our system. Why? Where are the brakes on this thing? Is there anybody who can stop it? It seems to me that the prime minister himself, the power has gone to his head, uh, Quentin Letts wrote a brilliant sketch in The Times on Saturday mm. of, in which he, he flew off the handle, really, because he was so infuriated. Right. Uh, the prime minister repeatedly saying, well, you will do this. I am going to do that uh, uh, in, in the, with the air of some sort of megalomaniac. Mm. He's got this power, so he's going to use it. And so the next thing we know. And there are reasons to fear very much this in winter when there will be genuine increases in influenza, which will be very hard to tell from coronavirus cases without uh, without a lot of testing. Right. Uh, the, 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 there is great reason to fear that what's happening to Melbourne could happen to a major British city at some time during the coming winter.
4: Yeah. Uh, well, I the, mean,
3: all of this you know, stuff that we've read... So there, people will take it. Yeah. Why, why? I mean, In Germany, people say, well, this is... You, you, you read the reports of the demonstration in Berlin. They said, oh, it was all Nazis. I don't think it was all Nazis. I think there are... In, in Germany, many people are actually uh, have a, a more recent experience of having their freedom taken away uh, than we do, particularly in the East and in, in Berlin, which yeah. is half of which was in the East. And they're very suspicious about what's going on. And to, to, to characterise a, a, this demonstration as as neo-Nazi, it seems to me as, as some... But
1: unfortunately, that's the world in wrong. which that's the world in which we now live. By the same token, I mean, and all of this stuff, and I don't really buy it, to be honest, this whole... But I believe that it's come from somewhere inside of government because they've leaked it to the Sunday Times to say, well, we might do this, or we might do that, we might put a ring around the M25. I mean, they can't protect the beaches uh, from people People just landing on them and running well, into no, the town. Well, no, that's interesting, isn't you know, it? But they can di- they can put a, a, a ring of steel around the M25.
3: Well, it's fantastic, interesting contrast between the, the complete feebleness of, of both the French and the British governments over the, the illegal crossings of the, of the Channel. Uh, my favourite uh, newspaper cutting last week was a report of some 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 of these migrants who arrived and then went and lay down and sunned themselves mm. and took selfies until it, the report said until the police arrived I saw and. That, yeah. And gave them face masks. Yeah, excellent. So So let's say we go to to the shops. Have a muzzle. (laughs) What is is this? But no, the thing about authority is that it works on those who are prepared to obey it. And in fact, what I tried to set out in a book I wrote back in 2004, The Abolition of Liberty, is that it's a strange contrast. Just as the government loses control Hmm. and the police lose control of real crime and disorder, uh, they start making life much, much more oppressive for the law-abiding. The two things actually go hand in hand. Well, it's you like the old social the old services, it, isn't it? It's is happening.
1: It's like the old so- social services. We're much more comfortable going into the homes of people who weren't really terrible miscreants with their children, but they yeah. didn't want to go anywhere near the really dangerous people because it's too well, they're dangerous. They're frightening, aren't they? Yeah, yes, they're very
3: frightening. The people who, most of the people who do those ter- terrible things to children, yeah. and, and you can understand, but it don't. But it is. It's so much easier to pick the low-hanging fruit of the obedient citizen who can yeah. be scared. But it's not just scared, Mike. I, I was walking around in the sunshine yesterday, and in the open air, and there were people in my home city of Oxford walking around, looking quite pleased with themselves. I have to say, heads mm. held high, yes. walking around in the streets in the open air in a fresh summer breeze with muzzles on. I, know. I saw one who had actually muzzled up his child. I could not believe that child had had any choice in this. No. looked very unhappy. Right. And I, I, I imagine if, when I was a child, if someone had, had, had tied some muzzle round my face, how uncomfortable. I would have felt. But this, this person thought he'd done something noble. Oh, for
1: sure. It's definitely another sign of the, the virtue signalling uh, that goes on now. But, but I think it's best summed up as well, isn't it, Peter, the whole situation by what I said at the top of the, of the hour, uh, where Greater Manchester Police say that they're going to declare um, um, a, a serious incident, but then in the next breath say it's nothing to worry about. Well, why are you declaring a serious incident then? I know.
3: But, it, but it, again, you see, as in all these things, the slightest application of any sort of logic uh, is, 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 will show you this thing, is right. that people won't do it. It's a wonderful letter in the Daily Telegraph and someone that's wearing you know, this, this ridiculous idea that to, 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 to open the schools, they're going to have to close the pubs. Yeah. And, and, and this, 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 um, this intelligent lady, uh, Kate Graham Cook of Bricks and Devon, writes it, the government warns that pubs may have to close so schools could open in September. She then asks, given that children don't go to pubs, and drinkers don't go to school. <laughs> what is the correlation? I know it makes no <laughs> sense. No also, also it's these laughable. But well, nobody laughs. No, uh, it, it, they, they just take it. No, they do.
1: And we, like the likes of us, just sit around shaking our heads. But equally, as as anybody from the scientific community can tell you, they can't. They cannot find any link between any school which has opened up in any country in the world where any infection has passed from a school Phew, child oh, to it's... a teacher or to anybody else.
3: It's purely a matter of a government which claims to be conservative and all oh, we'll get out, whatever else it is, and and is scared stiff of the teaching unions, mm. for goodness sake. Right. And the I civil mean, service unions. You use. like about the Tory party, but they did actually once stand up to the National Union of Mine Workers, who were a much tougher proposition than, the, 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 than, than any... Any teaching yeah. ever. Well, this it's, is the and, thing. This they won't even open. This. They, I, I still am very doubtful they will get the schools open in any in any realistic way in September. Mm. It's August now, for goodness' sake. It's nearly there. Well, it's nearly there, and, and sign of them uh, achieving it.
1: And there are there are plenty of teachers who are more than happy to continue to stay away uh, because they've all been paid fully. They're not even on furlough. These people, and many of them I know have worked uh, through it and they've tried to do homeschooling, but many of them have not, and lots of them are more than happy to keep
3: getting paid for doing nothing. Well, I fear so. You
1: know, that's the I, trouble. Tell us about I mean, your we, blood bank. We, can, we, go, we um, go
3: around this, but here, here's the thing. Where, where is the rising unpopularity of the government? Where is where is the dissent? I tried, I mean, I, I've got into a, a, a bit of a, a, a tussle this week with the blood transfusion service. Yes, I was going to ask you about it that. You insist that I have to wear a face nappy to give blood. There two things wrong with this. One, I, I regard this as, as, as like being forced, it's forced, it's compelled speech right. Right, to, to wear a... A, a declaration. I regard these things as a declaration of support for the government and yes. stupid policies, and I will not do it for that.
1: Well, do you know in Scotland you can get one that has SNP written on it?
3: Well, I bet you can, yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 but but the, the, the interesting, other interesting, in Scotland and in Northern Ireland and in Wales and in the Republic of Ireland too, as I've checked, uh, you aren't allowed to wear a face muzzle uh, while you're giving blood because they regard it as dangerous, mm. because they cannot... There are two reasons why. One is that they, you, you can, you, you can, there, are, there are clear signs that someone's about to faint, which yeah. is quite dangerous when you're giving blood, for yeah, the right. obvious, all the obvious reasons. And the, all those signs are concentrated on the face, particularly around the mouth. Mm. And if you can't see somebody's face, and the, 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 you, 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 can't, you, can't, you can't see it coming, you can't prevent it. Whereas if you can, you can. The other thing is that cold sores are a no-no with giving blood in some cases. And if people turn up wearing a muzzle, you won't see a cold sore. Mm. And so there are, two, there are two dangers, and they're quite simple and practical. And all of the other blood services in these islands won't let people wear, 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 wear face coverings during blood donation. Yeah. But the, 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 the English one, uh, completely, as far as I can see, um, driven by dogma, uh, absolutely insists. And they sent a functionary uh, to a, a London blood donor centre last Monday uh to to make sure that I did not give blood on on the stated of time of my appointment, I was amazed to find that this functionary from head office actually had the the details of the time and place of my appointment, but he did and they and and, and they said i couldn't go in uh so the, the, it's a story a lot of people say well how how can you be so selfish yeah not giving blood to which i reply well if if you think i'm being selfish then you go and give blood. Yeah, right. and make, out the, make out the blood that i'm not giving i'm that, i'm fine with that but actually there's a principle here i i'm a volunteer donor mm. i think i i'm entitled to some say in the circumstances in which I, I do this this voluntary thing and what's more if they can push me around on this what's next yeah. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised because some other blood services do this if they don't introduce a ban of giving blood at 70 right uh, which Which would be ridiculous and ageist. but it, but how is one going to protest about it if these people would just get away with anything? but again so, we've we've found I, I ourselves. tried for, for, for weeks privately uh, to to try and get the blood to move on this, and they wouldn't. So that was when I went public.
1: Yes, because I mean, the problem is, Peter, that I think we have allowed somehow, and I've been saying this lately, much to probably people's uh, chagrin, if I say it again, I never thought that I would be a white heterosexual male in my 50s and part of the counterculture, because apparently yeah. now,
3: uh, that's what I am. Because well, for me, it's, good. it's great fun to be back in the counterculture. I mean, I was, I, I was in the counterculture <laughs> in, the, in, in the 60s. I've just grown a beard again to celebrate the fact <laughs> I saw that, 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 that. that I'm now, now officially a dissident. Does that well, count back, as some kind of, of uh,
1: side. can you count that as some kind of face covering officially?
3: No, apparently not. Yeah, that's a shame.
1: But, no, we seem to have this kind of ridiculous... Web of, of, of organisations now, which apparently run everything, who were never voted in, who somehow have become put in charge. I mean, the, 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 I'm going to talk later on in this hour about this company, Serco, which I've only just <sighs> discovered. Run uh, run by Nicholas Soames's brother, who's the CEO. Um, they seem to have a finger into every single pie. They well, run even
3: more even more than, the, than 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 the famous Capita.
1: Well, I mean, they're similar, but I mean, I think yeah, they're they even are, worse. They? they run the uh, the Docklands Light Railway. Yeah. Uh, they run nuclear silo maintenance, whatever that means. They run um, the, the uh, Sorry, tagging for for offenders. They they transport prisoners. They run this migrant service where they're taking them and putting them up in hotels. I mean, it's quite extraordinary how many things that they do for the government, and it's all government money.
3: Yeah, it's it, it's it is very very odd, I and mean, the, the, the Capita thing is amazing. If you complain to the BBC, which is a complete waste of time, I have to tell you, yeah. you are actually complaining to Capita, yeah. who, who who form a sort of spongy screen around the BBC, off which all your complaints will bounce. Right, uh, that's what they're for. But there's so many other things they do, like uh, I think military recruiting, yeah. uh, which I don't think has been going terribly well since they took it over. It's amazing how these. And there was then there was that uh, outfit Carillion, which crashed. Yes, there's another of these. But these are all these are all. Fake. They, they look like they look like. Like, like, like private companies, but they're not really.
1: No, they're they're entirely they're they're, in, they're they entirely do, do supported require. by taxpayers' money, and they're all getting very rich off the back of it. And it seems extraordinary to me that nobody's ever looked into them before.
3: Well, it's, uh, I, private eye has, which I, I have many criticisms of, I have to say, but has on occasion taken a look at this, but and, and one or two others. But I agree with you; it's not been. Uh, it, it's not been as thoroughly investigated. As it anything. really hasn't. It should have been. It's no, I mean... It's we're It's gonna... a very strange society in which we now live, which has been completely transformed in the mm. past 30 years, in my view.
1: Yes. And, in fact, the establishment, as as you've o- often said, and particularly the civil service, who are also refusing to come back to work at the moment, by the way, um, is is entirely run by sort of le- the lefty a- academic types. Oh,
3: wait. Well, no, it's not. It's, what really happened to the civil service? Civil service neutrality was an important thing, but Margaret Thatcher began to eat away at it, but she had nothing on the Blairites mm. and on Alistair Campbell, who was given this special power uh, through orders in council to, to boss civil servants about. It was a constitutional revolution, which hardly anybody protested against mm. at the time. But this is all part of this thing that I was, uh, I was saying yesterday that we are actually much less free than we were in the Cold War. Yeah uh we the the, the partly because in, during the cold war our principal enemy was identified with repression travel restrictions interference in private life mm. uh and all the things uh, which we now have in our own country they were identified with the soviet union so it was unpatriotic to be in favor of them yeah. uh, but now that's gone it, the, the the soviet union seems to have arrived here uh, in so many aspects, it really that's does. Why, that's why I published that picture of me. Well, Standard I was going to ask you about that
1: because one of the great pictures that it was really fantastic—a picture of you standing on the Polaris submarine HMS Repulse. When did, when was that taken?
3: That would, I'm guessing that would have been about eighty five or eighty six. Okay. I, I was trying to work it out last night. The, the, in the background is the Isle of Skye. It was an amazing okay. performance we had to go through to make the rendezvous, take a boat out into, uh, and, and meet up. I had to clamber up the, the side of the submarine in, on a, in, in quite rough conditions, which I have to say I don't recommend to anybody. <laughs> I very nearly ended up in a drink. Right. But it, it was it, uh, it was a fascinating weekend uh, that I then had. Right.
1: No, it's, it's very interesting what you say because the world has been sort of turned upside down and turned on its head and, and the government appears to be no longer the government um, and the civil servants and the kind of appear to be advising them to do whatever it is that they do?
3: Well, some, they, they, generally, governments find, seek out the advice they want to hear. Uh, uh, which is, of course, what happened most notably in the Iraq war. Mm. All those people in in the system who said, don't do this. This is crazy. The people who knew about Iraq and mm. understood the Middle East and could tell a Shiite from a, from, from a Sunni Muslim and things like that, which the yeah. government couldn't. All those people were immediately, they began to say this is somewhere. They were sidelined. And the only people who were listened to were the ones who would cheer for war. And very, that was also very much the case in the right. United States. So they do this. So anybody who's against it, forget it. Mm. Uh, and and so they just they, they end up in, in their echo chamber of people who agree with them. And that's where they are now. And there's, there, unless there was serious opposition in Parliament, and unless there was serious opposition in the media, this this will carry on, and it will. And, and unless people themselves begin to say, actually, I've had enough of this. Mm. You told me I couldn't go to my to, I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't go to the bedside of my dying wife. You told me I couldn't see my grandchildren. I couldn't touch them. You told me my children couldn't go to school. You destroyed my 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 daughter's university education. Uh, you. you You wrecked my holidays. Now you tell me I have to go around with a nappy on my face. Is there nothing? There's no point at which the people of England who are Mm. supposed to be, or the people of Britain who are supposed to have stood up for freedom, so is there no point at which they will say, that's enough, thank you very much? Uh, Well, I think there there is, because, you know,
1: I'm I'm very sure that the July the 4th date, which was the date given for restaurants and, and pubs to reopen, was brought about purely and simply by pressure from individuals, some of whom I know, and some of whom you know as well, who run restaurants, who said, look, we're going to open on July the 4th regardless, so you better start getting ready for it. And I think think that's what will happen.
3: But, But what's happening to those businesses now? Since July the 4th, have they actually had enough business to sustain them? I don't think they have, because the government is still promoting fear. And it's still telling people it's too dangerous to go out. And I also hear terrible stories. From a man who writes to me from a, from a pub in rural Oxfordshire about that, that constant harassment he gets from the police about, about whether he's got enough hand sanitizers and whether he's enforcing the, 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 the registration of his customers, which is only guidelines, it's not law. Right. Uh, and, it, it, and it's a nightmare for these people. How, how can they possibly be expected to make a living? I mean, it, it, people, you go to the pub, and it, it's often such a miserable experience of bureaucracy and pushing. And you can't sit there and know mm-hmm. that, that the people decide actually. Do you know what? I'm going to stay home. Yeah, although there are—I mean, as I've said to you
1: before—there are some places who are uh, where life. I mean, where life looks almost normal. There are parts of London where life does look quite normal. I mean, I was in Sussex at the weekend. I went to the local sort of town high street, and it was actually very busy and bustling with people. And happily, they weren't all wearing masks. Some—they some of them clearly had masks to go into the shops with. But they were walking up and down as if it was an old-fashioned shopping day Saturday, and I was very encouraged by that.
3: No, well, good for them, but it's it's not it's not by any means universal. I no. can only tell from what we see. I, yeah. I don't know, but I see an awful lot of compliance, and I say, well, I'm very pleased when people are law abiding uh, when there's good reason to do so. But I'm worried when when people are law abiding when they're they're actually being sold a, a, a bill of goods. I don't think this is justified, and I think that any examination of the facts particularly the ones we were discussing mm. earlier about this, this business of infractions being portrayed as, as hugely dangerous when they're not. I don't think any examination of the facts shows it does. And I also think incre- if people will only look at what happens in Sweden mm. with an unprejudiced mind, uh, then they will understand that their approach worked uh, and they, they will come out of it much less damaged than we did and that uh, we should look at that if we want to know how we ought to behave in future. But it just doesn't
1: happen. Yes. Do you think, as I do though, that we have reached a kind of a, a fork in the road, as it were, where Boris Johnson has to decide which way he's going to go? Because we thought it was all kind of getting slightly better. And then the business in Manchester and, and, uh, and West Yorkshire and East Lancashire has kind of thrown that all back. A few weeks. It didn't seems to didn't
3: me. you get the sense that it's what he wanted to do? That he was waiting for an excuse to do it? That we're not free. We're all on parole. We can be yanked back into prison on any excuse, mm. any time. Well, I hope and not. I was to talking to, to, to colleagues of mine work. So I said, "Well, maybe saying how good it was that the numbers of people coming back into, the, in, into our office was increasing." I said, yeah, but how long for How long before we're all banned from coming in again? Yeah. And they were more pessimistic than I was. Uh, this, uh, I, I, I think it's gone. I very much think it's gone to Johnson's head. I think he, he is enjoying this, this, this power of decree far mm. too much. And, I, and, and where is Parliament? I mean, no, it's in recess, but even when it wasn't, it might as well have been. Yeah. And the Hansard Society... Well, is, Laws pretty, are being made useless, without really. Parliament. We're being ruled by decree. It's a constitutional push. And, it, in, in, in I mean, it, the, the, the problem with this, this sort of thing, the only instances of it are so extreme that people say, oh, it's not like that at all. But in the, in the case of the destruction of, of, of one of the most sophisticated liberal democracies, in the history of the world, Weimar Germany. It actually took quite an effort for the National Socialists to destroy the, 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 the Reichstag. They had to you know, achieve huge mm. constitutional amendments, capture the, the ear of the head of state, uh, get, you know, get, get an enabling act passed. But in this country, it, all the things which are supposed to protect us just, just collapsed like they like, like, made a meringue. There was no, no resistance at all.
1: Yeah, exactly. It seems remarkable. But I just fear that if we move the wrong way here, and it does move back into a kind of an insular, you know, let's not do anything. Let's not go anywhere. Let's make sure that anybody who might be at risk doesn't go out. I mean, how the hell are they going to judge, for example, who is uh, fit to go out and who's not fit to go out? Because if they're going to judge it on records that the GPs hold, they're going to be so wildly inaccurate. That it's going to be ridiculous.
3: Oh, I know. I, I can't. I, it, it, but it, 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 so the simplest thing to do is they say, well, nobody can go out unless they have specific permission to do so. Or right. do the, the thing which the French did at one stage, where you'll have to print out a piece of paper sh- showing you're allowed to be outside your own house. yeah, Like some medieval surf. Last time I was asked for my furniture.
1: papers was about 1977 in uh, what was the former Yugoslavia. And yeah. I was trying to walk from one hotel to another at the age of about 16. And I was stopped by a policeman with a dog. And it's quite I mean, terrifying. You know, and I, you know, I didn't have any papers. Yeah, you
3: know, I used to get it all the time in the old Soviet Union. And you, and, and you had to do it. And often it was accompanied by some sort of demand for a bribe as well, right. I might add. but it, <laughs> it, it, Which is another thing, which corruption grows in these sense. Yes. Things. But exactly. it, again, what, the, the, the other thing which is coming, the, the economic horrors which are coming, uh, are, 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 are then going to create real problems of... Discontent and people discovering the horrible reality of unemployment, of trying to live on uh, on the benefits system, which we now have the universal credit system, uh, the, and, and the the actual definite permanent loss of jobs, the permanent collapse mm. of businesses that people could thought they could rely on, the permanent collapse of pension funds, which people thought they could rely on for their old age, the the, the growth of inflation, the mm, absolute necessity of severe cuts in almost all public services because there simply is no more money to sustain them. What happens then? What happens then? And, 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 and what we simply don't have the ability to cope with the crisis on that level. And yet we're, 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 we're drifting towards it without yeah. any sign of anybody knowing what to do. I'm just so frightened.
1: Yeah, well, listen, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm beginning to to, to to believe all of the uh, the stuff that you told me a few weeks ago because uh, I was under the impression that we did have a decent chancellor, that they did have a plan, and that they were going to get us out of it. Uh, but they've just taken us back in. We've just come out one door. It's like the ghost train. You know, you come out one bit and you go back into another bit, which is even more frightening than the last bit.
3: <laughs> I'm afraid so. And I, I, I as I say, I feel look look very much at what's happening in, in 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 Victoria and Australia at the moment, particularly in Melbourne. Mm. I I fear that the the government are casting envious eyes on that and, and long to do something along those lines. And I, I, unless somebody stands out to them soon, this is the future.
1: Yeah, Peter, great to talk to you, thank you very much as ever, Uh, talk to you next week Peter Hitchens, Mail on Sunday columnist uh, man, um, who not everybody agrees with but you know, you have to say um, there's little to disagree with, with what he says at the very moment in time in which
0: we speak Talk Radio Across the UK, online on DAB and on your smart speaker The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio